Welcome here to our uh, midweek service at Calvary Baptist Church of Trihern. Also welcome to those in tune with us via live stream and also FM signal here in town. Welcome. Please open your hymnals on number 39. This is my father's world. Number 39. <clears throat> This is my father's world and to my listening ears all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres this is my father's world I will Father, we are thankful that we can come together today and we can be reminded of the fact that this world belongs to Thee. Thankful that in spite of all the troubles that we see in our world, we realize that we have a God in heaven who is watching over us and is only allowing the trouble to become so bad and that in the midst of the trouble we can still know Thy peace and have Thy blessing in our hearts. We thank Thee that we still have opportunity to preach Thy word openly and to proclaim the name of thy son the lord jesus christ as the only savior and we're thankful for those that join us via live stream as well as listen later on we're thankful for the many countries that we can reach into thankful for thy blessings to us and through us to other people and we pray that we be faithful to thee in serving thee and glorifying thy name we continue to pray for the nation of israel pray for the peace of jerusalem as the tensions there are growing and we know that Israel will face much greater trouble yet. We pray that many would be saved. In the meantime, Mr. Netanyahu would be saved. and Many Arabs as well would be saved and be spared eternal judgment in hell. We pray also for the situation in Ukraine and for the many countries that have uh, foolishly supported them and lost billions of dollars. And we realize that all of this is part of thy plan that our corrupt world is using weapons to destroy one another but we're thankful for the peace of God that is available through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ may thy will be accomplished here tonight and may we glorify thee in all that is said and done 
We pray for anyone listening that is not saved, that they might see their need to humble themselves and turn to thee in repentance and be forgiven and saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. And over to 221. 221. Thank you, Lord. 221. Everything but love, and to crown him king. 
banner of the cross. Over land and sea, wherever men be dwell, make the glorious tidings known. Of the crimson banner, now the story tell, while the Lord shall claim his own. Marching on, on marching on, more Christ count everything but loss, and to crown him king, toil and sing neath the banner of the cross. When the glory does destroy every day, it is his thing day by day. Then before our king, the forces disappear. And across the world shall sway, marching on, marching on, for Christ count everything but love, and to crown him king, toil and sing, neath the banner of the Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, we're going to be reading there this evening from verse 12 through to the end of verse 16. And we'll stand, please, for the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful again that we have thy word. We're thankful again that we can read thy word, we can study it, we can be challenged from thy word, we can be blessed in thy word. We're thankful that thy word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We're thankful, Father, this evening that thy word is speaking to each one of us. Thou hast given it to us, we have read it, and thy word is doing its work. We pray that each one that is listening today would want to respond favorably to thy word. And as we study different passages tonight, that we might again be reminded of thy goodness and also the corruption that has taken place over the history of humanity, especially in New Testament times with the churches, and how that we need to be careful and guard against becoming corrupted ourselves. We're thankful that we can know the truth and walk in it and be a blessing to others. May thy will be accomplished as we study thy word this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're continuing our study of church history, and we're looking this evening, the title is Intolerance is a Mark of False Religion. Intolerance is a Mark of False Religion. Corruption is common to man. It's one of the things that we find since the fall of man. Before man fell, the devil corrupted the word of God. Eve was deceived by that corruption 
Adam willingly chose to believe the lie even though he knew better, but we know that corruption has been a problem throughout the history of mankind. Cain developed a false religion in Genesis chapter 4. He knew better, he knew what he needed to do, but he chose to ignore that and he chose to develop his own religion and then he was angry when God didn't accept it. His immediate descendants, when you read Genesis chapter 4, his immediate descendants followed in his footsteps. They were corrupt. By Genesis chapter 6, corruption was so rampant that God determined to destroy the world as it was then. Only eight people would survive the flood. After the flood, Noah, the father of the eight people, the father of the I should say of the six people, the, the husband of, of his wife, he corrupted those eight people by getting drunk and causing his son and grandson to sin. The only way to avoid the corruption that is so rampant is to be saved. That's the only way. A person must be born again. But once we're born again, the Bible teaches us that we must also be feeding on the Word of God. If we're not feeding on the Word of God properly, we're going to be susceptible to corruption, even if we're saved. A saved person can't lose their salvation, but a saved person can certainly make bad choices. And all of us that are saved do make bad choices at times. And so it's important for us to, as we see in, in this passage we read, our first point is give attention to reading. You see there in verse 13, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. There's a man that was uh, introduced to me a while back, he's on the internet, so I've not met him personally, but... Uh, a man that I know uh, is always surfing the net for different uh, information, sources of information, and he came across this man and he sent me the link and wanted me to listen to what this man has to say. And this man, he claims to be an avid reader, and from the way that he talks, it seems that that is true. He knows a lot of different things about uh, different periods in history, different people in history, and so on. This man also claims to be a Christian, but his brand of Christianity cannot be found in the Bible. He's a man who is lost, but he seems to have a fairly large following. And because of his history background, it seems to me that a lot of people are impressed with what he has to say. But the man is of no help to anyone who wants to know the truth, because the truth that matters comes from the word of God. And so one of the things that we must understand when we look at giving attendance to reading, the main thing that every true child of God should be reading is their Bible. Should be reading our Bibles every day, but not just reading it quickly to skim over it and then get on with life, but we should be reading it in such a way that we have something throughout the day to meditate upon that we can recall what we have read as we go through the day and we can allow God to shape our thinking in such a way that we can follow him more faithfully and honor him more as we go through our lives. As we look at church history, we find that the problem that, we, that there is in church history is there were not very many people in any generation who were giving attendance to reading. They were willing to accept the deception of the false teachers of their times, of the enemy of the soul, the devil, and not willing to pay close attention to what God's word says. And you cannot skim over the word of God and expect to be strong in the Lord. It doesn't work that way. A child that is not fed properly is going to be very weak, going to have all kinds of problems because it's not fed properly. 
And the same is true for the child of God. The child of God that is not feeding properly on the word of God is going to have all kinds of problems. So we see in verse 13 again, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now one of the things that we are being told often in our time today is that doctrine is divisive. So don't talk about doctrine. It just divides people. Well, true doctrine does not divide God's people. It's a uniting factor because doctrine, biblical doctrine, is right teaching. There's no error in the Bible. So when we take and submit ourselves to God's word and dwell on his doctrine and we get together and study God's word, if we are saved, we will be led into the truth. Uh, we will find out that, that we have an agreement because the Holy Spirit is the one who brings about that agreement as we submit ourselves to the Word of God. <clears throat> in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, if you turn there in your Bibles, <clears throat> Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, Joshua was now the new leader of the nation of Israel. He had been trained under Moses for 40 years. And after 40 years, he's not a young man. He's 80 years old. But in chapter 1, we read there in verse 6 that he is challenged by God, Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. These words were given to Joshua as he began to lead the nation of Israel, and we know that he faced many challenges as he led them into the land of Canaan and began to take the land for the children of Israel. The enemies of Israel, we know that from earlier on in the history of the nation of Israel when the spies were sent in by Moses, some of the people were giants. They were tall people. They were strong people. And ten of the spies were afraid of those people. They saw them as an enemy that they would never be able to conquer. And now Joshua was going to lead the nation of Israel into the land of Canaan. And they were going to face these enemies. And if Joshua would listen to what God said, <coughs> he would have no problem leading the nation of Israel into the land and taking the land. And we know that for the most part, that's what Joshua did. We know a few times he did not rest in God's word, but chose to use his own mind and the minds of those around him rather than consulting the word of God. But we see here in this passage that Joshua was challenged several times here to be strong. And the only way that a child of God can be strong is if this book of the law is what's in his mouth and if he's meditating on it day and night. And as we look at church history, we see that that was what the breakdown was in the early days, and that's still the breakdown today. Any church is capable of falling. I remember some years back at a men's breakfast that we had in our church and we invited a guest speaker to come in to speak to us. And uh, that man said that a church 
that is standing for the truth can, can become a corrupt church within one generation. And when he said that, that troubled me to think that so quickly a church can fall away from something that they once held so strong. And yet, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong in what he said. But it just struck me to think about it that in one generation, a church can crumble and become ineffective. And yet, Jesus promised that he would build his church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And he promised to do that upon himself. He's the rock. And so when a local church fails to continue to build on that rock, when a local church begins to allow corrupt younger people to come in and take over leadership positions and they're not prepared for it, they're not walking faithfully with the Lord, and even older people for that matter, then that church is in trouble. And so we need to understand the importance of giving attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Now, 1 Timothy is a pastoral epistle, and so Paul is writing to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, and he's challenging Timothy to give attendance to reading, to exhortation and doctrine. Timothy needed to be careful. He was a younger man. He had been trained by the Apostle Paul, his mother and his grandmother were godly women. They had a great influence on him, and he was saved through their influence upon him. And Paul had then taken him as a young man and taken him along with him on his journeys. And so Timothy had many opportunities to observe how an older Christian functions, a godly Christian, and he had many opportunities to see the challenges that a Christian will face when he walks obediently with the Lord. We have seen in, in my lifetime, at least, we have seen where the majority of Christians have chosen to find a way to get along with the lost rather than to preach the word of God faithfully and help lost people to be saved. And so we have seen a great corruption in my lifetime, the church that I grew up in. When I was a boy, that church taught biblical salvation. They taught things that would help people to understand what salvation is and what it looks like. And they encouraged Christians to walk faithfully with the Lord. If I, well, I wouldn't go back to that church today. But if, if, if someone were to go and visit that church today, it's not identifiable anymore with what it was when I was a child. It has lost its way completely. There's no gospel there anymore. It's just a social club that meets on a Sunday. And it's a sad thing, but that's just one of many churches that have fallen apart because they have turned away from the Word of God. The second thing that we want to notice is the flow of corruption. The flow of corruption. One thing that is not well understood is the importance of steadfastness. Most people want some wiggle room. They will agree in principle that the Bible is God's word. But they do not want to follow it explicitly. If we do not want to follow God's word obediently, we will fall. And many people are quick to cry legalism. As soon as you take a biblical position and you hold that position, then right away you're labeled as a legalist. But again, people that use that term, they don't understand what a legalist is. In the Bible, according to the Bible, I should say, a legalist is someone who makes law-keeping part of salvation. The book of Galatians, which we have been going through in our devotionals, is a book that addresses the problem with legalism. The Judaizers, who were like the Pharisees, and who were very much alive and active in the time of the Apostle Paul, 
they were going around trying to destroy the faith of those who were truly saved. There were saved individuals in Galatia, and the Judaizers were coming along and trying to convince the Gentile believers that they needed to be circumcised in order to be fully saved. And uh, the Apostle Peter was even guilty in chapter 2 of Galatians of separating from the Gentile Christians when Jewish Christians came into their midst and when the Judaizers came into their midst. He was separating himself from the Gentile Christians and he was causing even Barnabas to, to turn away and to cause separation that was unbiblical and he was a hindrance to the work of Christ and Paul had to publicly rebuke him because of his disobedience to the word and will of God. So <clears throat> legalism is not something that a Christian uh, should be involved in. It's not a matter of teaching people that you need to keep the law to be saved, but Christians are not without the law. Uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, he wrote about living by the rule of following after Christ. So we don't, Christians don't get up in the morning and look at a list on the wall or a list on a, in a book or something and say, okay, today I have to do this, I have to do that. Christians get up in the morning and they read their Bibles and because the Holy Spirit indwells them, they are led by the Holy Spirit to do right things. It's not a matter of I have to, it's a matter of this is my life. This is normal because I'm a child of God. I've been changed by God, and these are the things that I do. The Christian doesn't get up in the morning and have to read his Bible. He reads his Bible because he wants to know his God. He wants to know his Savior better. He wants to know how to serve him better. That's the motivation. It's completely different than lost individuals. When our children were young at home, we had a rule in our house that in the morning... Uh, everything needed to be quiet in our house because I wanted all of our family, our children and us as adults, to have time to be able to read our Bibles before we began our day. Now, our children at that time, they weren't saved, but I wanted them to do that anyway. They needed to read the Bible because it's through the reading of God's Word that, that they could get saved. And so that was a rule in our house. Now, as lost children, they would say, well, okay, we have to do this. Dad said so. Uh, but then after they got saved, some of them, then it changed for them. But you see, that's how it is when a person is saved. It changes. And it's not a matter of I have to, but I want to. But when we don't do that, then we run into problems. And we have already noticed that there were a couple of things that happened early on in church history that changed things because people were not spending time in the word of God the way that they should have been. One of the things that changed early on in church history was terminology. The terminology from the pastor, elder, bishop being the same person to creating a class of three different Offices, So you have a bishop who rules over the elders who rule over the pastor. In the Bible, those three terms refer to the same individual. But in church history, it was through the influence of the Catholics, and even before them, we see in Second John, Diotrephes was a problem there. But we see how that it was developed that we have these three layers now of leadership. And the problem with that was that now you have the bishop who lives somewhere in a central location who dictates to the elders, who dictate to the pastor what and how the church needs to be run. So you have a replacement of Jesus Christ with humanistic leadership. And that is a problem. And the result of that problem was that another institution of the church was changed, and that was the matter of baptism. Baptism in the Bible is always by immersion. 
Baptism in the Bible is always for those who are born-again Christians based upon a testimony of salvation, that they have demonstrated that they are saved, they, they, speak, uh, they speak to that, and then they are baptized upon their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Baptism was changed by this new hierarchy to the place that baptism became baptismal regeneration. That it was through baptism in quotation marks that people were saved. And so along with that, we have a change from immersion baptism to pouring and sprinkling, which are not baptism. And those two modes came about because the Catholic religion believed that the only way you can enter the Catholic Church is through baptism. And they believed the Catholic Church was the only way to secure a form of salvation. The Catholics do not have the assurance of heaven. They know that when they die, they believe they're going to go to purgatory. And from there, they hope they're going to end up in heaven. Of course, purgatory doesn't exist, but that's, that's a doctrine that they developed through the teachings of Augustine and was further developed along the way. And that is what they use as a means to keep control of the people and keep their thumb on the people. So we have these corruptions that took place because the word of God was no longer in its proper place and uh, too many people chose to ignore the word of God and follow the lies of the Catholic religion. Now, at the same time that we have this corruption taking place, we have groups of people who were given different names like Paulicians, Montanists, Waldensians, and so on, who did not buy into the Catholic doctrines, false doctrines. And as we see as church history moved along, these people were persecuted. One of the reasons that we find so little writings about them is that there were thousands of Christians who were murdered throughout church history and that of course stops the spread of the gospel to a certain degree and it also stops the recording of the history of those people because there's no one there to write it. They were busy just trying to survive, trying to find a way to continue. That's one of the, the encouraging things that we can look at today is that these people from former times, the Paulicians, Montanists, and others, they, they continue to be true to God. And so they did not allow the pressures of the Catholic religion to stop them. Now, sadly, over time, the Waldensians, for one group, they're still around, they are completely corrupted today. Now, many times these people, they got their names just like the name Christian was given to the people of this way back in Acts chapter 11, was given to them as a mark to set them off for punishment. The Christians themselves did not take that name that was given to them to, to label them as the enemies of the state by the Judaizers. And the same goes with the Paulicians, the Montanists, and the Waldensians. Some of them, their names were given unto them by the enemies of the cross to label these people. These are the people we need to go after. These are the people we need to stop. And as church history moved along, as is quite common, Jesus promised, he said, warned in John chapter 15 that that the disciples should not be surprised if the world would hate them because it hated him before it hated them. And we find that throughout church history, there were more people that hated the truth than there were that loved the truth. And that's not surprising since the Bible tells us 
that we're all born as lost sinners. And until a person gets saved, they are going to fight against the truth. Every child demonstrates that in the household. You don't even have to be talking to them about the gospel. But if you have any kind of standards in your household, your children are going to fight against them. They're going to disobey. That's just the nature of man. And we know that that's also true when it comes to the gospel. That there are many people who disagree with the gospel and they fight against it just as the Apostle Paul again wrote in the book of Galatians that the Judaizers they had another gospel which Paul said is not another and he says let them be accursed but that group of people was far greater than the Apostle Paul and those that followed the truth However, again, we can be encouraged in the fact that none of that stopped the Apostle Paul from preaching the gospel. He still traveled around. He was stoned. He was dragged into prison. He was beaten many times. He was left hungry and so on. But he never stopped preaching the gospel. He continued to do what God called him to do, not because he had to, but because the love of God was in him And that's what motivated him to preach the gospel, to help people to see the need to be saved. Well, out of this continued corruption came a time in history which some of us are familiar with, known as the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages started in in the 400s, 426, and carried on for at least or close to a thousand years. The Dark Ages. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16, Jesus, or the Bible says there, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. So darkness there is referred to as the shadow of death. It's the region of the shadow of death. Darkness is something that the world is living in. Even though right now when you look outside, the sun is shining. When you walk into a building, people turn their lights on. But the majority of mankind today is living in darkness. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. And we know that even though today we are not living in what was classified as the dark ages, in reality we are still living in that kind of a time. The majority of mankind today is still in darkness. They are not Um, expressing that in the same way that they did during the Dark Ages because during the Dark Ages the Catholic religion was the powerful system of the world. It was dominating nations and the the nations were under the thumb of the Catholic religion and there was a real drive to have everyone become Catholic. Opposition to the Catholic religion was forbidden. And so I said that it began about 426 AD and it was popularized during the time of Leo II, who lived, who was the Pope at least from AD 440 to AD 461. That's when the popery was established. And he is the one who um, encouraged the, the persecution that led to the name Dark Ages for that period of time. He would not have called it that, but church historians have labeled it as the Dark Ages. So the Catholic religion infiltrated the nations and took over as the head of government wherever it could. And uh, There were two divisions that developed within Catholicism. You have the Roman Catholic division, which of course has its headquarters in Rome, and you have the the Greek or the 
the, yeah, the Greek Orthodox uh, Catholics who had their original, uh, or also called Eastern Orthodox, they originated out of Constantinople. And those two groups there, they were always at odds. The Greek Orthodox, they had uh, immersion baptism. They, they both believed in intran baptism, in quotation marks. But the Greek Orthodox, they had immersion even for the babies, at least into the third century, maybe longer. <clears throat> but there were uh, always divisions between the two, and those divisions caused wars. And uh, over time, as we're going to see, they managed to find a way to, to not put away their divisions. They still don't agree with each other to this day, but they got along. They, they tolerated one another, let's put it that way. So there were eight councils that were developed during the Dark Ages to try to resolve different issues and try to push different doctrines and all of these councils were held by the Eastern Orthodox or the Greek Orthodox uh, religious faction within the Catholic religion. The, <clears throat> the first one we've already looked at in the past and was the, the Council of Nicaea. And that one was in 325 AD. It was called by Constantine the Great and there were 318 bishops in attendance at that council. Now there we see the term bishops again being used as these are the higher-ups, not a biblical term, but a term that became very popular in Catholicism and is also popular in other religions today. I know even my background in the Mennonites that they have bishops in some groups, they have elders in some groups, and they have pastors. So that they took that from the Catholics. That's where it came from. It didn't come from the Bible. The second council was set at Constantinople in 381 AD, and it was called by Theodosius the Great. And there were 150 bishops present at that time, <clears throat> and the bishops... Uh, were again the authority who ruled over the people and told the churches this is how we're going to function, this is what we're going to do. The third one was called uh, by Theodosius II and by Valentinian III. And there were 250 bishops present at this council and it was in 431 A.D. And then the fourth one was uh, at Chalcedon in 451 AD and it was called by Emperor Marian and there are five to six hundred bishops at that one. So we see how that the bishops are multiplying. There's more and more of them at that council. The thing that they debated was Mariolatry where Mary was declared to be the mother of Christ and to be worshipped. And this doctrine at that time, there were people that did not agree with it, but eventually the Catholic dogma won out and Mary was then declared to be the mother of Christ, but not just the mother of Christ, but the mother of God, and she was to be worshipped. Now that doctrine, that false doctrine... The roots of that comes from the Bible. Five times in the Old Testament, God talks about the Queen of Heaven. And that's what Mary is to be referenced as amongst the Catholics. All five times are in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 18. Jeremiah 44, verses 17, 18, 19, and 25. Five times. The Queen of Heaven is mentioned, not as a good thing, but Jeremiah was told to speak of that as a warning to the nation of Israel because they were being corrupted. So the corruption that the Catholics developed and, and pushed, some of it they took from the Old Testament. 
because corruption was also there in the Old Testament. <clears throat> the sixth or the fifth council was uh, held at Constantinople, <clears throat> and it's the second council that was held at Constantinople, and it was called in 553 and was attended by 165 bishops. And this one was called to condemn certain writings. So the Catholic religion wanted to control what people were reading. Remember we said in our first point that the Apostle Paul told Timothy to give attendance to reading. And so people have generally had an interest in reading. People want to know things. And the Catholics wanted to make sure that people only knew the things that they wanted them to know. Now if we look at our time today, we know that our government has passed a bill, C-18, which is designed to limit what people can see on the internet. And uh, they're trying to keep people from hearing the truth. Mr. Trudeau has has uh, popularized two terms, misinformation and disinformation. And of course, in his mind, misinformation and disinformation are things that he doesn't like. Basically, what he's talking about is lies, but he doesn't want to use that word. But the one who is lying is he and the World Health Organization and Teresa Tam and others like that, they're the ones that are spreading lies. But they don't want us to think that way. They want us to believe whatever it is that they say and to dismiss anything else. <clears throat> and so that's the time we're living in. And even on the internet, if you say the wrong things on YouTube and used to be more so on Twitter... It's changed somewhat on Twitter now, but if you said the wrong things, you can be, you can be silenced on those mediums, and uh, then they will either punish you for a time, or they'll limit, they'll take you right off of being able to broadcast there. So censorship is still alive and well today, and uh, instead of giving people the opportunity to choose and to make up their own minds based on the facts, people are being limited in what they can look at and, and read so that they can indoctrinate people the way that they want them to be indoctrinated. The Sixth Council was called in 680 AD, and it was held in Constantinople and called by Constantine Paganator, <clears throat> and it was to condemn heresy. Now, of course, heresy, we need to understand it in the context based on the Catholic religion. So heresy was anybody that preached salvation by grace through faith. That was heresy. You can't get saved just by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have to be baptized you have to become a part of the Catholic religion. That was what they taught, and so anybody that didn't agree with that was a heretic. And then they would develop out of these councils, how would they deal with heretics? And during this sixth council, uh, the Pope Honor Honorius uh, name, uh, by name was deposed and excommunicated. So here we see that even the popes had to fall in line with the people. At this particular time, the popes did not have absolute authority yet where no one could defy them. <clears throat> so the infallibility of the pope was not yet declared in 680 AD. That was something that was developed over time. We know that in recent history, the popes are declared to be infallible, and so the only way that they can get rid of a pope is to poison him and kill him, or they have to wait for the man to um, resign, which is rare, but it did happen with uh, Pope Benedict, and uh, <clears throat> it's a rare thing that happens. 
usually they die, and usually they die of natural causes, but there have been some that were, were killed. The seventh council was called again at Nicaea in 787, and it was the second one held there, and the Empress Irene called, or Irene called this one, and here in this meeting is where they <clears throat> looked at image worship and saints worship. And of course, when we're talking saints, we're not talking about biblical saints, we're talking about Catholic saints who are not saints at all. They're just people that the Catholics determine are worthy of worship. The Bible says that only God is worthy of worship. But we see the development here of false religion and how that the, the Catholic religion continued to develop itself into what it is today. <clears throat> and again, as all of this is going on, by the grace of God that in every generation the truth was still being proclaimed. So even though these ungodly councils were called, and even though the, the popes and the bishops at each one of these councils tried to try, tighten their grip on humanity, God was still keeping a door open for the truth to be proclaimed. Now, as I mentioned, there were thousands of true Christians, there were also some who were not Christians who were murdered by the Catholic religion because there were ungodly people who didn't go along with the Catholic dogma either. But many true Christians were murdered by them because they would not fall in line with the ungodliness of the Catholic religion. The Eighth Council, the last one of them in this period, was called the Eastern Council, and this one was um, by the, the emperors held in Constantinople in 869, called by Basilius Moreto. Uh, <clears throat> the Catholic uh, religion, Catholic Church, had gotten into trouble at this time, and there was a controversy that they needed to deal with between the two groups, the, the Roman Catholic and the Eastern or the Greek uh, Catholic and so that was uh, what that council was called for. And the trouble was that the two leaders of these two branches of Catholicism, they had excommunicated each other. So they were, they were at odds with each other to the point where they decided to excommunicate one another. And so for a short time, Catholicism didn't have a head. God, of course, was not their head. Jesus Christ was not their head. They had appointed human heads, but for a time they excommunicated each other. And so there was, uh, in the minds of the Catholics, there was a crisis on their hands. They didn't have a leader. Of course, the devil would see to it that that's, this wouldn't last long. But we see how that even in false religion... False religion can't even get along with itself, never mind with true religion. But one of the things that we find even today yet as well is that false religion, the only way that it can survive is to try to silence the truth. False religion cannot answer the truth. It cannot defend itself against the truth. And the truth is more powerful than false religion. And that's again why the Apostle Paul told Timothy to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. It's important, especially for the leaders in a local church, to be fully convinced that the word of God is true. We must be fully convinced. If we're not fully convinced, we're in trouble. We can't help our people if we don't believe the word of God is true. That's critical. Now, it's important for every Christian to come to that place to realize that every word of God is pure. That you can believe what the Bible says. There are warnings given to us in the Bible. We don't follow them. We're warned about things we need to stay away from if we're saved. 
And there are things that we are told that we need to do if we are saved. And so the true child of God must come to that place in his life where he is fully convinced that the word of God is truth. Because unless that is your position, then you're open to be swayed by a smooth talker. And there are many smooth talkers. There are many branches of false religion today, not just Catholic, but many other branches of false religion. Of course, the Lutherans broke out of Catholicism to a certain degree. Martin Luther never wanted to leave the Catholic Church. Uh, He just wanted to reform it, but he was eventually chased down by the Catholics. They wanted to kill him. They were not able to do that. But that was their intent because they didn't like what he was doing. But Martin Luther was not a God-fearing man. I know that there are people who have promoted that, but that's not true. He believed in work salvation just as much as any Catholic did. And in the end of his time, he was even going out through his people and killing those who would not submit to his false doctrine. So he's not a godly man. He's not someone that we can take as, as a forefather of true religion because he's not that. He stirred up trouble within the Catholic religion, but not because he wanted to overthrow it. He just wanted to make some changes in it. But he was eventually kicked out and he started the Lutheran religion. And then we have John Calvin, who was also a persecutor of Christians, not a godly man, but sadly, there are many, even many Baptists today who are Calvinists. They don't really study the history of the one that they're following. And that's, again, the danger when you don't give attendance to reading. When the Bible is not your authority, then you will allow people like John Calvin to get into your mind and to twist your thinking into believing things that are not true you're not grounded in the truth you're 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 uh, ripe for being uh, infiltrated by many forms of the same lie so very important as uh, Paul continued to talk to Timothy as we in our opening verses till I come give attendance to reading to exhortation, to doctrine, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. We can be thankful today that God's word is eternal. God has preserved his word, the Bible says, from this generation and forever. So we can always take our Bibles, the King James Bible for the English-speaking world. We can take that Bible. We can read that Bible. We can know the truth. A lost person can be saved as they read the word of God, as they surrender to the word of God. And generally speaking, there will be someone involved in in helping them to understand the word of God. That's the Bible pattern so that they will understand it properly and be saved and know the peace of God in their heart. Very important for us to have that foundation, that right foundation, so that we don't get swept aside as so many have in the past by subtle uh, inferences from others and uh, from the craftiness that the devil is behind. So it's very important for each Christian to make sure that you are reading God's word every day. It's very important as well to be a part of a true church because that's God's design. That's what he has established. That's how we grow. That's how we're fed. That's how we reach out into the world around us. So again, for anyone that's listening today, if you're not saved, if you're caught up in whatever the brand of false religion that you are in, 
the only hope that you have is to turn to God, to believe what the Bible says, to turn to God in repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. That's the hope of man. That's how a person is saved, and then from there you need to walk with God, get into a good church, read the Word of God, meditate upon it, and learn and grow in the Lord, and then help others to do the same. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have that word. Thankful again that we can see that in spite of the attacks of the devil, how that he has tried to destroy the truth. He's never been able to do it, and he never will be able to do it. We're thankful that we have a God who is greater than the devil, a God who knows the truth and is the truth and wants man to know the truth. And we're thankful that thou hast been so gracious to us in preserving thy word even for this generation, that today people can still know the truth. And we're thankful also that in this late hour, there are still some true churches around. People can still come and they can still find the truth. We're thankful that that is the case and we know that will be true until the rapture takes place. And we pray that many would be saved yet in these days of grace. We look forward to the soon return of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that many would be saved in the meantime, that they don't have to face the wrath of God, but that they can know thy peace in their heart and be forgiven and saved. May thy will be accomplished in this place and through our outreach efforts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.